Good morning and welcome to each of you as we open God's Word and, and see what it will say to us. This particular passage portrays a man, a man bent on destroying the followers of the way, a man headlong seeking his own glory, headlong seeking for himself, a man deceived into thinking against God. We see this man transformed by the presence of Christ, and we see him becoming a witness. Our text this morning is Mark 5, verses 1 to 20, and we see a similar story. A man ravaged by sin, a man an enemy of God, transformed by the presence of the Savior, becoming a witness. This man was a demon-possessed man, and I think sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with that. And so we'll spend a little bit of time thinking about that, and then we'll um, think about the implications for us. C.S. Lewis says there are two equal errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils that is, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. If we are honest, we probably err on one of these sides. Either we say demonic possession is impossible in our modern age, or we find a devil in every sickness and behind every mishap. As most of us have not observed this sort of fanatic possession, as we find in our text today, it's, it's difficult for us to determine if a person is possessed or if the ravages of a life of sin have created the individual we see. But to say that demons don't exist would be to deny our scripture. To say that they exist as Frank Peretti displays them, each having a personal angel and a personal demon that do battle over us, um, that would stretch what the scriptures say as well. And so we'll th consider what does our passage tell us? And what we find in our story is a man that, that, that is clearly possessed by demonic powers to a point that Jesus begins to talk to them and upon being cast out, the man returns to normal functions. So we will attempt to allow the scriptures to shape what we think I'll go ahead and read our text at this time. We are Mark 5, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles 
and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, this is your word. This is your speaking to us. Father, may we open our hearts and minds to hear your words and may they change us into the eternal image of Christ. We pray this through Christ. I could take a little bit of time and sort of recount the story, some of these the elements that come through here. In the context, Jesus has just displayed dominion over nature by calming a storm. He and his disciples are traveling across, and Jesus is sleeping, and a storm comes up. And if you recall, the disciples awaken Jesus, and he says, Why are you afraid? What do you believe in? Don't you understand that I am God? Don't you understand that that nature bows to me? So Jesus has just displayed power over nature. And here we find another of Mark's common words. Immediately. Jesus gets to shore and immediately, there, this man comes running. This man possessed, is in deplorable shape. He lives among the dead. 
He is being robbed of his humanity by this possession. You can imagine, it says that he's cutting his own flesh with stones. It says that chains and shackles couldn't bear him. But imagine if a man were able to tear chains and shackles, what that would do to his body. So you can imagine this man is clearly broken, bruised, barely visible and recognizable as a man. As did the storm. So the demons know the authority that Jesus has. And they're compelled to recognize him as eternal Lord. And there begins this conversation. The demons are saying, we know that you are the eternal Lord and and we know that you have power over us and that you're going to cast us out, but we don't want you to do that. We don't want to leave this man. We want to continue to wreck the image of God in this man. But Jesus cast them out and they begged to be sent into the swine. And upon entering a host which doesn't have the image of God restricting or pushing back against their demonic tides, they do their destructive end. And the pigs go into the sea. Now, if you know anything about pigs, they're probably not the most seeking of danger. I mean, in fact, I think they're probably quite timid about those sorts of things. Um, they tend to run away from anything dangerous, but here they just headlong to their death. An image of what sin and Satan seeks to do to mankind. These herdsmen then, at the loss of their flock, alert the townspeople at what they had seen, and, and everyone rushes out to see this spectacle. And they all falsely assign to Jesus the responsibility for the loss of the herd. And even though they see this once broken, shattered man restored and whole, they ask Jesus to leave. Afraid of his power, afraid of his ability to control the spiritual. And we see this man wanting to spend more time with his Savior. And he requests to accompany him back. And Jesus completes this transformation by asking the man to be a witness. To be a witness to his friends and family of the mercy and grace granted to him by the Savior. Interestingly here, Jesus does not ask this man to be silent, as he's done in virtually every other instance. But he asks him to go and to tell and to witness. Maybe the underlying fact was that Jesus doesn't return to the Decapolis in, in public ministry, and, and this was his means of, of sending out. But regardless of that, this man is a witness. So I think our main idea here this morning is that Jesus is not just Lord over the storm in the physical universe, but He is Lord of the spiritual universe as well. He has the power to change a demon-possessed man into a witnessing preacher of God's goodness and grace. But consider from here three points. First of all, Satan and his demons seek to deface 
and to destroy the image of God in humanity. The devil's purpose and plan for the world is to destroy it. His purpose in tempting Adam and Eve in the garden was to destroy what God had created good. And in this man, we see this happening. We find him in a horrible condition. He lives in the caves with the dead. He is unrestrainable. He damages his body. He cuts himself with stones. His spirit is in so much anguish that he abuses his own body. The image of God is defaced. The image of God is broken. The image of God born in all humanity is destroyed. But you see, that's what always happens under the dominion of Satan, under the power of sin. See, sin promises much happiness. It promises fulfillment. It promises immediate satisfaction. But it delivers on none of it. The man who seeks to escape reality with drugs becomes an addict and will do almost anything to satisfy his need, even to the, to the, to the wrecking and defacing of his own body. You see these people who are meth addicts, and you wonder, how can they do that to themselves? But under the power of sin and Satan, all humanity does that. A person under the influence of drunkenness, while promised a good, good time, will behave in rather aggressive actions of self-destruction. And the image of God again fades a person seeking to find meaning in many romantic partners will find himself the true partner of none. In seeking to fulfill his own desires, he finds them forever wanting. Maybe the next one, maybe the next one, maybe none. And the image of God fades a person seeking happiness and fulfillment in the gaining of wealth will find in the end that his drive has consumed him. The business and the unending demand of social status will control him. One million dollars becomes the new one thousand dollars. And he needs more and more. His monetary goals drive him to be the slave of the future. Never, never living in the present. And the image of God fades. Maybe a little closer home. A person seeking self-preservation by religious observance may not show the visible external effects of sin. But a heart seeking its own righteousness will interrogate itself ruthlessly. And in this interrogation, they will always come up short. And this interrogation will not stay just with themselves, but will be faced towards other people. And the sins of pride and judgmentalism will rule them. No one will be good enough. And everyone will fall short in their estimation. 
Gossip will be their language. And the interrogation of others will be their conversation. The merciful kind-heartedness of our Savior is not present in that. And even more, the image of God fades. Whatever it may be, whatever we place in front of God, whatever we place above Christ in our lives, it will destroy us. Sin and Satan, in whatever way they control you, will lead to your ultimate destruction. And the image of God will fade and in the end be defaced. But there is a solution to this ravenous monster of sin. Our text portrays that as soon as Jesus came to shore, the demons were upon him. They knew him from eternity past. They knew his true identity. They knew that he wielded the ultimate power to destroy them. They came and they begged to be left alone. What have you to do with us is in the sense of, Leave us alone. Do not torment us. Let us stay in the body of this man. And Jesus, in his compassion, reaches this poor man and grasps him from their clutches. By the word, by his word, the legion is cast out and he returns to being a normal man. He returns to being an image bearer of his creator. With the healing of this man, Jesus shows his compassion for those bound by Satan and sin. And in his saving, this man again reflects God's image. Is this not Christ's purpose? Is this not his mission? On our earth? Isaiah 55, as we heard in, in the call to worship, come everyone who thirst. We recognize that our seeking for self and sin is because of our desires, because of our thirst. And, and Jesus is saying, you're not going to find it there. You're going to find your death there. In me, you will find true life. Romans 1 begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. There again we see that progression. The Son of God in power rescues, gives us grace, transforms our lives, and makes us a bearer of his image and a witness to his grace. Jesus is the solution to the monster. He alone has the power to overthrow Satan and the power of sin in our lives. Jesus didn't go through some fancy exercising incantation. 
He didn't say the right words. He didn't have to get out his guide on how to do this. No, he simply was God. He was the Lord of the universe. And by his power, the demons were cast out. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. And thirdly, Jesus' power over Satan and sin brings about renewal. This man wanted to be with Christ after his rescue. He went from being an outcast to be a functioning man on the basis of Christ's power and mercy. Logically, he wants to remain with Christ. But Jesus denies him this and asks him to be a witness. And so he does. He tells his friends and his families. Jesus not only freed him, but he transformed him into being a witness. In the same way for us, Jesus dies not merely to rescue us from our sin, but he rescues us to transform us. He rescues us to make us witnesses of his goodness and grace. In the Great Commission, he sends us to be those witnesses to the nations. And so we see that sin defaces. We see that Jesus rescues. And we see that we are witnesses. So what are some ways for this to... How does this interrogate our lives? How does this ask us to consider? First of all, we can't be glib and unaware to the actions of Satan in our world. He is the eternal evil, and he stands in direct opposition to Christ and those who would follow him. Jesus clearly demonstrated that demonic activity in our world is real and active. But we do not, but we do not witness that in our day as publicly as, we would, as he would have. And I, there are many speculations as to why that is. Um, I'm not here necessarily to entertain those. But clearly... By witness of this passage, the power of Satan includes the power to control and to inhabit a person. But second of all, we must not fall prey to assigning all evil or sickness to the actions of the devil. 1 Corinthians 15 clearly teaches that man brought about death and sin in the world. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, and for as an Adam all die. Sin is a result of man's choice. Your sin in your life is a result of your choice. Satan clearly is the tempter, but is the actions of man that brought about sin. And so we can never proclaim, the devil made me do it. We are sinners plenty enough without Satan. And thirdly, we must not, we must not trust in anything or any person to save us from sin other than Christ. No established church can save us. No reformation of self can save us. No incantation can save us. No avoidance of the world can protect us from its attractions. Only Christ 
And him alone has the power to rescue fallen man from the curse of sin and death. Only Christ can save man from the defacing that Satan and sin bring. Only Christ can return man to being an image bearer. Trusting in anything else is a fool's errand from hell. In Christ and in him alone do we have salvation. And finally, we are to be a witness. As we recognize the defiling presence of sin in our past, as we recognize our own battle with sin, we must remember the gracious actions of our Savior on our behalf. In mercy and compassion, He removed us from the net of sin and He placed us as His brothers. Is not this the compulsion to share this good news? I think too often we're not, we're not aware of how bad we really are. We're not aware of, of how much sin has marred and defaced the image of God in us. We see it, we're so willing to see it in other people. But do we recognize that we were just as lost as this man? That we were just as bound by the sin nature as this man? And that we were just as much in need of the Savior to act on our behalf? Do we live as, as worthy Christians, thinking that we are, we're worthy of God's actions on our behalf? Or do we recognize that we are the least worthy? And you see, if we recognize that, then how could we hold that news from those around us? How could we shy away from wanting to be a witness to what has occurred in our own hearts? If you're here today, if you're here this morning, and you have not seen Christ as your Savior, you have not recognized Him as Lord, you have not sought rescue from His goodness, please do so today. See Him as Lord. See Him as Savior. He invites you to allow Him to transform your life as only He can. In conclusion, I'll read Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
Christ is our only hope. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we consider the brokenness around us, as we consider a world dominated by the seeking of desires, the seeking of self, a world that defaces and mars the image of God in humanity in many and various ways. Father, this morning, in considering that, we are grateful that you, in your wisdom and in your mercy, have called us to be your children. That you on a cross acted on our behalf and pushed back the advance of sin in the world and created a remedy, created a rescue, created a way that we could turn away from that which would destroy us and find rest and hope and peace in you. Father, may we realize our rescue and may that realization propel us to share the good news of you and your goodness to the world around us. May we be ministers of your grace to those that are lost and hurting. We pray this through Christ.